After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi everyone, it's Raghu and welcome back to Mind Rolling. We have a wonderful new podcast which I'll get into introducing in a bit, introducing our guest. I want to talk about a couple of things that are going on uh, across the Love Serve Remember Foundation networks, which is ramdas.org and uh, Be Here Now Network. We have a new book coming out uh, through Ramdas's. Uh, well, through under the Love Serve Remember Foundation uh, publishing arm, actually. It's K.K. Shaw. Many of you have heard of him uh, through uh, many different stories from either Ram Dass, myself, Krishnadas, or any numbers of us. He, was, uh, he is uh, an important mentor in the transmission of what we got from Neem Karoli Baba uh, back in the day and all through these decades. He has visited America many, many times. And the book is called Deva Bhumi. That's D-E-V-A-B-H-U-M-I. And if you go to ramdas.org slash Deva Bhumi, you'll uh, get to a page that's got some wonderful videos about what the book's about and a lot of information and some sample of the book and a way to order it. Um, so uh, KK is uh, not only... Is he one of the most um, incredible examples of love in action? Uh, I mean, uh, if you, some of you remember that story when Ramdas first went to India and first w- met Maharaji, Neem Karoli Baba, KK was the first translator. And, uh, and then after, just after that, that day, he said, go back to, he told Ramdas to go back to KK's house and stay with him. And he really got an idea of what it was like to be in the, in the loving embrace of an Indian family. And uh, I can't say too much about this book, which tells the story of KK and his family and how they, uh, his father, who used to go out open um, Badranath, um, he was... Uh, appointed by the British back in the early uh, 1900s to go, uh, and there was no roads, no motor roads, rather, and he would go up uh, by horse. it take months to get up there to actually open up Badrinath, which is one of the holiest pilgrimage places in the Himalayas. And on the way, he met these incredible saints, and he would bring them back to his house. Uh, K.K. grew up in this atmosphere, and it's a 
wonderful story. Also, he introduces some of the other saints in that particular area. Devabhumi is abode of the land of the gods. And uh, and there's uh, particularly uh, a lot of stories around this one being named Sombari Baba, Sombari Maharaj. And it was uh, caves in two places that he lived, and he left it around well, in 1920 or something, uh, that Maharaji, Nimkaroli Maharaji, built ashrams over. So it's quite a book, and I urge you to go. You can, as I said, go to ramdas.org slash Deva Bhumi, D-E-V-A-B-H-U-M-I, and this will be on, on the mind-rolling page, the link and so on. And I also want to, uh, we've announced it before, and, and it's been out about a month, the Heart Mind app from Be Here Now Network is, uh, it's a really vital hub uh, to not only get all the podcasts that, that we do, but it has a tremendous amount of other material from articles and videos, and uh, uh, there's an in-app um, uh, a retreat course uh, that uh, we excerpted from many of the uh, wonderful conversations we've had with some of these great teachers. It's called Life in Balance. That's something to check out in the app. There's meditations that you can use on a day-to-day basis, guided meditations, there's timers, there's a chair yoga for my lovely wife, Saraswati. And uh, so it's it's a rich hub of, a, uh, it really creates a way for, you, you can even design what you want. You can save different things that you like from podcasts to articles to the meditations on on your phone. It's, a, it's a, uh, an iOS application. And uh, so you're really designing your a way to keep balanced uh, on a day-to-day basis. So I urge you to uh, go over to the uh, to the App Store, the Apple App Store on your phone. Uh, we don't have Android just yet because we, I mean, bluntly, we just don't have the money to to pay for it right now. Uh, so we're trying to uh, see if we can't uh, get enough uh, support so that we can do that. And that's just one of the things, of course, we need support for for the Be Here Now Network. And uh, I, uh, it's the Christmas season is, uh, is a now coming, where Thanksgiving's just around the corner here. So I know that you have a lot. I mean, our primary, aside from donations, and, and recurring ones are fabulous, $9 a month would be uh, a big boon to us if enough people did it. But also, uh, you know, getting that Amazon link, using Amazon, which everybody uses to, and certainly around Christmas, if if you can, and I know you have a lot of different people that are asking, for, especially if you listen to different podcasts, for instance, our friend Duncan Trussell. I hear people say, well, I, I've got Duncan's, uh, uh, I use uh, his Amazon portal. Uh, so I think Duncan would be fine if you kind of split it with us, you know. Uh, so just go to uh, BeHereNowNetwork.com and you'll see the link, uh, the Amazon link, and you can just uh, cut and paste it onto your uh, uh, menu bar uh, and where you easily every time you want something you just click and it's got our distinct uh url be here now network 
And, of course, we get a little piece, very small piece, but even those few percent goes a long way if enough people do it. So please do continue the support and, uh, and, and, and use that Amazon link. Now, to the podcast. So this podcast is uh, a wonderful chat with uh, a teacher named Muji. I think many of you know who Muji is. And uh, some of you may not. And if you do not, uh, I think this is uh, something that would be very, very beneficial for you to get acquainted with Muji, listen to this podcast, and you will get acquainted with him. But then you can further, of course, uh, investigate through his site and and teachings and so on. He is a uh, disciple of uh, a teacher who was in India uh, named Punjaji. And Punjaji was a direct disciple of Ramana Maharshi. So that is the lineage. It's a very, very powerful lineage of self-inquiry and Advaita Yoga, non-dual. And uh, I'll just tell you a little story. It's slightly embarrassing. I know of Muji just through uh, maybe seeing him on Facebook a little bit and uh, last uh, this past uh, spring or late winter uh, in March, I was in India, and I ended up in Rishikesh uh, with my wife, and we uh, were just going around. We were at uh, our guru's ashram, uh, and uh, we saw posters everywhere of Muji, and uh, met a couple of people who had gone to some of the talks, which were extraordinarily well attended, thousands of people, and um, and I had this judgmental BS in my head about a non-dual practice uh, that, oh my God, people are doing, they think that they can actually uh, get uh, completely present and into, uh, out of their egos, however, enlightened, if you want to call it that, which is, I never use that term, but just to make this simple, they can do it through Advaita. So I was highly judgmental of the whole uh, idea of this particular teaching. Now, of course, I love Ramana Maharshi, so it wasn't. Uh, it, it was. It, it was. It was. It was just BS. What can I say? Anyhow, I get back home and I'm doing podcasts, and somebody suggests, "Why don't you do a podcast with uh, Muji?" Muji, I'm going to have to get into that whole non-dual kind of headspace. And, you know, I'm a bhakti yogi. I'm uh, My tradition is, the, you know, just all this guff in my head. But but I, I it actually came from one of the listeners, and I thought, okay, well, somebody wants something. Uh, let me try and just uh, reverse my headspace a little bit. And I did, and over some months, communicated with uh, Muji's wonderful people. And we finally, uh, interestingly enough, the date that we had set to do the podcast was the uh, day after the election, after Trump had won, when everybody that I know was in complete shock. And uh, I was a little shell-shocked myself, thinking, you know, since I'm from Montreal, okay, I'm going to be moving back, you know, trying to make plans to do that. And uh, and then ensued this uh, very, very 
wonderful conversation with Muji, who proves to be an extraordinary, loving human being, completely down-to-earth, humble, and totally connective with me. And, and you know, I, we even talked a little bit about how I felt about uh, so people having a tendency to get so much in their head trying to figure stuff out uh, using this particular practice. And, uh, and uh, you know, he straightened me out about that and, uh, and a few other things. And uh, I'm really proud to uh, present this podcast. Uh, I've talked to many, many, many great teachers uh, in, uh, through the uh, Mind Rolling podcast. And I have to say, this, this is a very, very special one. So here you go. This is Mind Rolling with Muji Baba. Welcome, Muji, Muji Baba, to the show, to the podcast. Thank so you. great to have you here. <laughs> Thank you so much. So great. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there's many people, and um, of course I... Uh, since I, I just mentioned delving into um, your background a little bit and what happened uh, in your life. It's pretty interesting. If you wouldn't mind, because there are many, many people, especially uh, we have a, a large audience of younger generation people, it would be wonderful if you would just just tell us a little bit about your transformation and, and what happened uh, and... Uh, and how that how that went along for you, and uh, until you got into the lineage that you are part of. Yes, yes, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I have no set way of telling this because each time, sometimes something new comes up. You see, but <clears throat> let me start at the place where, in 1987, about then, <clears throat> I um, uh, I would have been. Um, making a lot of artwork, you know, painting particularly, and um, some stained glass. And uh, I was about to um, participate and to help to organize a, an exhibition of Afro-Caribbean art. And uh, <clears throat> so I returned home from one day at the gallery. And when I got home, um, <clears throat> one of the news that my partner at the time had for me was that, oh, earlier someone had knocked on the door <clears throat> who had seen some contemporary stained glass in the window and had inquired who had made it. And she said, oh, my partner made it, and but he won't be home until later on today. And they had a conversation and he said, would, 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 he, would it be okay to call back later on? So along with the other news, I said, sure, sure, that's fine. And I got on with the rest of the, the afternoon. So <clears throat> around about the time that he had promised to come, a knock did come at the door. And I went to take it. He was a, a young Afro-Caribbean man standing at the door. He says, um, sorry, my name is Michael. I came earlier. I said, oh, yes, yes, please, please come on in, come on in. And uh, <laughs> our conversation and our meeting started right then. And straight away, he made it known to me that he was living close by. That That's like, you know, three minutes walk from where I was living in Brixton in London. And he said, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, and I, uh, in fact, I live in a house that we use for service, and um, I'm familiar with this type of uh, thing also. Uh, in the Caribbean, we have a lot of non-church churches, you know? Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, Michael, please come on in, and we had some tea, and 
before I knew it, I was in a conversation with him uh, about, you know, <clears throat> uh, spirituality and uh, really um, focus on Christianity and so on. No? But I felt so totally comfortable with this man who had just met and felt so totally comfortable with him. And I, I, I realized that um, I was more curious than I was than I was aware of, you know. Because um, perhaps I was so comfortable, these questions came up and I spoke with him and he addressed everything that I asked. I cannot remember what I asked, but <clears throat> I felt that comfortable with him. And he kept coming uh, unarranged. He would just show up and curiously at a time when I felt, whoa, I really was thinking of you just now and I really wanted to, to ask you about this and whatever. Mm. So these conversations took place over maybe six weeks, <coughs> over about six weeks or so. And then I found that it was one, one Sunday evening, he had come along with a friend of his, and my own partner was there in a room, and we had a beautiful talk. And he was about to leave, it was about seven o'clock in the evening. And uh, I said to him, you know, Michael, when you pray again, please could you pray for me? And uh, it's quite a spontaneous thing. And he responded. He said, yes, but why not now? And I said, hey, okay, that's good. So I stood up with him, and he put his hand on my head, and he prayed something. I don't remember. He prayed. and But as he finished praying, I myself entered the prayer and said, yes, I am very open to, to go further into what uh, we've been discussing, and please, you know, bring this grace to me and so we had a hug at the door and he and the friend left and I remember just having a most beautiful feeling of peacefulness and deep relaxation and just a natural feeling of joy was there actually I don't want to say just because I was especially happy mm -hmm. and light also so um, I went and sat on my own for a while in the room where we were talking and uh, <clears throat> I wasn't really thinking much about what we had talked about. I was more sitting inside a feeling which felt so much uh, like a heightened kind of sensitivity, uh, a real strong feeling of presence. And um, I sat with that in that sort of state of quiet joy inside. And it was so noticeable for me that um, I felt very much blessed and, you know, I'm familiar enough to use terms at that at that time because I was brought up also with a background of Christianity and uh, mm. been to church many times. And in fact, I felt similar feelings at different stages in my life, you know. But I don't know what was different about this. I, I was just so present with it and so deeply grateful and appreciative of what I was experiencing. And... Um, <clears throat> In fact, as the evening drew on, I, I really did not want to go to bed. I really felt this is so delicious and uh, I don't really want to, this to end in any way. Mm. I wasn't even thinking it was going to end. I just felt I just wanted to stay up with this feeling. But uh, the time floated on by and eventually I became tired and went to sleep. And when I got up in the morning, I, um, I just noticed that the sun was just peeping through a little crack in the curtains and I was just noticing these dust particles. It was a kind of autumn time in London, so 
it really just was a beautiful feeling just observing and it was so internal my experience in that time um, and it was uh, I don't to anybody else I could probably say it's it's just such an ordinary thing but experience in such an extraordinary way I don't even know if it was really about the sunshine I was just feeling again so so filled up with this immense feeling of space and and relaxation you know? and <coughs> I would say there you know this this great peace was felt so profoundly and um, it, it it never went away this peace to this day it has been like that but um, I cannot say my ego went away so totally I mean I there was still a me in here you know um, mm. like sometime there and uh, what I would say that I notice is that as time rolled on from this from this place I'm talking about um, I, I felt like I was just absorbing so much learning so much recognizing so much I don't know just I felt I was like a sponge soaking up all these impressions and observations that were feeling almost new to me like they were not felt before so so profoundly and um, mm. <clears throat> uh, just went on and on I had a I did not have a much of a background of reading books and so mm. but it it came to to read Michael also came by a week or two after this time I talked about and gave me a, a, a the New Testament <clears throat> and um, I really consumed that very, very quickly. I was just so hungry. And then I went myself and bought a, a complete Bible. And I also read through that. It was just so, everything was just so without judgment and just so much eating, eating. Hmm. And um, yes, it, uh, I think, I don't know if your question was searching for more than that at the moment, or you need to remind me of something more. But anyway, that was a starting point. Mm. And um, yes, I could continue because I am um, uh, still living in London and uh, very much um, it arose in my heart to, I discovered one book. It was called The Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Mm. And mm. I knew nothing about India or Indian saints and so on. But I found this one book. Before that, I'd encountered the book of Ramana Maharshi. Um, it was a simple book. I went into a bookshop in the West End of London and I found, I saw, I went for the smallest book I can find because I'm, I'm not so attracted to books. So, and I, it was a book on self-inquiry by Ramana Maharshi. Mm. And uh, I loved the, 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 the image on the cover of the book, of his face. And, uh, mm. But I really could not relate that to, the, to what I was reading. It just felt so mental for me. And I, in fact, I almost was about to go to the, the people in the shop and say, I think there was been some printing error that you put the wrong <laughs> cover on this book. Because <laughs> <laughs> I could re relate such a peaceful face with all this, you know, all this other stuff, which I wasn't used to at the time. So mm -hmm. I did not get that book. I, I found a book that says the gospel. And because it had gospel on it, I felt like uh -huh. I to that of Ramakrishna. And I, I, I took it. Uh, it was a big book. And I started reading 
And you know, it was clear that even though Ramakrishna's background, religious background, was so very different from mine, <clears throat> but what he was sharing was so universal, I, I felt very, very strongly. <clears throat> Before this, I have to fill in something else, which was that after this change um, came in so profoundly in my life, I started to go to Michael's church for a while. But he was not the preacher there. There was a young man who was preaching, and I, I couldn't get on with his way, his style of, of, uh, of teaching or preaching. I felt it was full of a lot of prejudices and um, against other like Muslims and so on. And I felt that I didn't come here for that, you know. And I, perhaps after a month or so, I just uh, backed away from, from going there. So I spent a good deal of time on my own. And this is how I came to be looking about on my own in bookshops. So um, I found this book of Ramakrishna. And I, I, I went to bed with it every night. I woke up with it in the mornings. I was reading and crying and laughing and just feeling so much like I'd found an old friend, you know, an, mm. someone who could guide me. And so this was the, this was the motivation uh, for going to India. Mm. And uh, so I went to India in 1993. That was like six years after that encounter took place. And so, mm. and it was while in India that I came to meet uh, Papaji, who would become, uh, who I recognized later only, to be the master I needed to meet. So, mm. yes. <coughs> and uh, we knew of uh, Papaji. Uh, of course, we, since originally going to India, long, long time, decades ago, to be with my guru, Neem Karoli Baba, with Ram Das, who I think you know who he is. And... Uh, so we uh, we were very aware of Papaji in in the nineties, I guess, uh, uh, in Lucknow because Maharaji had a temple there. So we would go to Lucknow. I personally did not make it to actually see him, but many friends did. Um, and uh, so I, of course, know quite a bit about him. And uh, one thing I've always I, I've wanted to ask you since I first uh, you agreed to do this. I had heard that he was deeply affectionate uh, for the god Hanuman, the monkey god. Do you know of that? Um, I feel that Papaji was most openly affectionate um, about the Buddha and, uh, mm. and Lord Krishna, and also about Rama and, of course, uh, Hanuman. Uh, it was not so deeply, I did not know that part so much about Anuman. Uh, I know Papaji had a strong connection with Rishikesh, that he would go there so often when he was in better health, he would go very often, mm. spend uh, a long time by the Ganga and visit some of the temples there uh, like this. But um, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's so great. Well, I, I want to just um, you know start in on, on probably the main... Uh, idea, of course, of self-inquiry, which stems from Ramana Maharshi. Um, and uh, you talk about who really does live in this house. And, uh, and, and you talk about, is it that person that's identified with all of the roles, with, uh, with the, the thought patterns and so on and so forth? 
So can you just talk uh, about self-inquiry and its um, efficacy to allow a person to move towards understanding who they are not and perhaps who they are? Uh, that person uh, would have to be someone who, who is already drawn, perhaps who have been uh, practicing some form of um, some kind of self-discipline or reading something about this this particular um, non-dual uh, path or something. Not not only, but uh, very often I'm finding people are coming like that. But of course, very many new people come who haven't had any spiritual concepts. You know, sort of like. Uh, that they, they are clinging to yet, they also come. So um, I don't know how good I am at talking about it so much. I can <laughs> give some little things uh, like that, little pointers or something. Um, actually, because it is not a teaching that I have a set thing to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do today. Hmm. More, it is so dynamic, so spontaneous, so fresh. As each one comes, uh, the path opens up uh, through that living encounter also. But uh, in addressing your question, I can just put it briefly that uh, it is clear for me, and I, I, I relate to, through the term people, as um, that all are just consciousness only. Um, when I first heard this, I could not understand that. You know, when people say we are just consciousness. Also, many of these words were new to me, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> and I only came to uh, gradually into the understanding of what that meant. Perhaps because my earlier conditioning was so tight or something. I don't think it is, but it was all that I was familiar with. Mm. So it, it really took meeting Papaji, and I would call it his presence and grace somehow allowed my mind to begin to to understand a little bit. And what is beautiful about the inquiry is that the emphasis is not so much about learning, 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 but on openness and discovery. Hmm. And so it really points to uh, that when we speak and, and we refer to ourselves, obviously everybody, irrespective of religion or race or country or whatever, or age, refer to themselves naturally from the place I or I am. That is the starting point of our thoughts, our speech, our idea of ourself, our identity, and so on. And it is most important that we really have a profound, deep understanding of what we are calling I, when you say I, what it means. Mm. You see? Uh, well, it, it is not, uh, not an obvious thing because it is so taken for granted through our conditioning that I implies my body and my conditioned mind or whatever, my sense of person. It is so much of a traditional perspective that nobody questions it at all. And in fact, myself included, I would not have questioned what I is. I would just call I me, and that me implies my person, my idea of myself, which is very much fixed upon this body with this body as the root of it. So um, the inquiry really begins right there. Uh, many parts, most probably, if not all of them, uh, don't start with this 
kind of uh, inquiry or introspection or this self-questioning. It assumes that you are already enough um, aware of yourself to now begin to look at what you want to do or where you want to go in life. It doesn't start with who you are. That powerful assumption, that global assumption is never challenged from the beginning or questioned even. So therefore, all parts that I know of, in fact, includes the ego, which is the idea I have of who I am, to participate on the journey, to, 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 to be the one who is being spiritual. Whereas in the inquiry, because this is what you're asking about, it begins by actually looking at the one who is setting out on the journey. So it took quite a while, you know, for, for, for me to actually get this twist of perspective. I felt, why are we wasting time with this? Why don't we just get into the, 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 the journey of exploration? So it took quite a while for, for me to clearly understand what was happening. But what was at the same time, while I was feeling I was not understanding, the very questioning was creating certain changes within me that I was not so conscious of. Mm. The fact that I was compelled to keep looking at, you know, when you say, you know, I said, I don't like this and I don't agree with this. Who, who is the one who doesn't really agree with something? So it took a while to, to, to really catch hold of why is this kind of question important? But gradually, I, I, I got to see that uh, this, this, this me is not fixed. It, has, uh, it changes its perspectives based upon moods, based upon the time of the day, based upon how stressed I am, based upon several factors were contributing to the impressions I believe were original to me. So it is true, this uh, kind of inquiry. Uh, it asks, you know, um, you know who, who is it that is, that has resistance to something, or believe that you are, you are so far ahead into your, your your evolution or not? You see, and at first it can be felt, if it is not understood, um, that it becomes very irritating for many people, because they just want to bypass that type of uncomfortable questioning, and get onto what the thing, the thing that they want is. So uh, I am actually surprised that not more people just turn away from this. But what has been happening over time is that less and less people turn away from it. It's like, and that is probably because I'm not going fishing for people. They sort of come by life in some, in its own, in its own mm. unfolding. People come and somehow I find that most of them, even if they are challenged, have sufficient stamina or determination to push mm. the initial discomfort and to really find the pearl of non-dual realization. So mm. uh, that's uh, some of what I can say about the... the no, it's beautiful. Mm. Beautiful. I mean, um, I can remember myself too when my, my perspective was shifted by my guru so that uh, I, there was a completely new vantage point from which I could see my life, see my truer self, and so on. 
So everything you said is is uh, is something that uh, back in we all walked that path for for sure. Um, I there <laughs> you had a a great uh, I love this little catchphrase that I found a little quote from you when I was looking through material that uh, would be great to expand upon. I think and it had to do with a question around emptiness and emptiness is a very difficult concept uh and of course the buddhists this is a primary foundation of uh of buddhist uh, thought and uh many people are, are talk about turning away from something empty why do we want to be empty I mean, it's, it's like a nihilistic thing it's not when in fact it's empty of of self is is really what the, what is being discussed. But you talk about athlete's foot mind. I love that. Mm-hmm. Can you t- <laughs> talk a little bit about that? Because I think all of us are involved in one time or another with athlete's foot mind. Well, <clears throat> it it may have been used in in a particular instance uh, to describe the the the, the kind of reflex that uh, keeps returning to the whole regime of uh, mental functioning and identity and personality behavior. And um, and this itch to keep going back to the old habits, mm. even in the mm. face of um, a very clear and um, energetic recognition of something that is so so energetically present as a testimony to its to its truthfulness the the we go back somehow it's not i wouldn't say i've come to use that term less and less that we go back but something triggers a, a kind of resistance it's a form of resistance to keep picking up some something to to divert or distract the attention onto more personally familiar ground. Mm-hmm. It's, as, it's as though sometimes the truth feels very uncomfortable in the, in the when there's an egoic presence um, uh, participating in any um, uh, search for truth. As soon as the, the thing that we seem to be searching for becomes more, more, more alive and present, the more resistance come and and this is where the inquiry is so powerful to look at what it is that is resisting here because something is quick to say it's me and uh, so we could we spend a little time to focus because i know that there are not many questions at a certain stage when when the bite has happened when someone feels begins to feel the pull to go more deeply into a state that they cannot describe that as soon as that bite is taking place, you know, there, there's an urge to just go, to fulfill it, to go all the way in. So usually at this point, you know, powerful uh, energies seem to come to create as much distraction as, as possible and so on. I don't see that in itself as being bad because I feel that the point is to transcend that that type of... Um, that overtaking, you know, to, to, to look at it for what it is and who it is, who, who is it that is, that is feeling so distracted. And as you come to see through this question that it is the idea you have of who you are or it is 
an impression in the mind, a, a very, um, you may say, very intimate idea of oneself is in resistance, but it is not, it's not true because the very presence that causes the inquiry to happen is not in resistance. And so we come to another point where a recognition happens to say, it is so, you know, I am here. And you keep coming back to your correct position as that unchanging seer. This is um, mm. uh, one of the important phases that, uh, but I would say the true seeker experiences or goes through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which which leads me to, and of course, uh, Ramdas coined this term many, 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 many years ago. Be here now, and uh, and I found something. I just want to. Uh, remind you and read uh, while you are so busy you are kissed by grace this is from you of course but you are not thankful for it because it strips you bare and all your intentions fall away leaving you as this indescribable here and now quality quality less Rather, quality-less presence. Yes, quality-less. This indescribable here-and-now quality-less presence. This is the state of the unborn. Yes. And I, I think that that's uh, uh, so much uh, part of our tradition uh, and and what we were handed down and the legacy that we have of, of presence and so on. Uh, I... Um, can you talk a little bit about once you start to move through, as you were just discussing, you're not scratching that itch, perhaps, quite the way that you used to. You are going very much deeper into that truer self. And uh, a certain kind of presence does come at that point. And can you talk a little bit about how to, uh, what's the word, um, get that presence to be even more spacious in relation to your day-to-day -day life? Mm. Well, as, as anyone, um, continue with the simple pointing, because the pointing is, is very simple. It's just uh, that you come, you're just growing into um, less distractedness. You come to see that... Uh, uh, the, from the from the psychological um, nature of the mind, it comes uh, many many uh, uh, seeds of destruction. You may say to 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 remind you of how important your daily life is, and not to miss your appointment, and to you know you didn't finish your meditation this morning, and so on. And all of these things can some of them can actually seem quite spiritual or something, but mm -hmm. actually. Ultimately, they are not needed if you simply grasp that you are that which is timelessly present beyond belief, beyond believing in it. You come to a clear seeing uh, internally that that is the place that never moves in you. You see? And uh, that which moves is more the, the, the sort of drama that's created through thoughts being believed in and 
and strong impressions of personhood that is being nurtured uh, by your attention and so on. But you come to that which simply is the isness of being. And each time, and life keeps bringing, of course, you know, these uh, daily, um, uh, what you may call timetable of, um, uh, of things to do and things to avoid doing and whatever. But uh, there's no fight with that. There's just a, there's just a, a, a deepening of the recognition of your, of your stillness. And uh, not because you are against activity. Activities are, are not in conflict with, uh, with, your, with your silence and stillness. They flow in front of it, just like the clouds move in the expanse of sky. Mm. And the sky has no favorite clouds. And uh, the clouds just float on by. And uh, there's a discovering within the, within the, the, the maturing maturing consciousness whereby it it falls less and less for the, the 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 tricks and traps of the psychological mind you are more and more just if you as you check in you find that presence is already here it is in presence that even check in the, the check-inness is even watched <laughs> from the unchanging presence and that's where the growth if you want to say or the sense of um, evolved uh, consciousness is is most strong is keeping is just seeing that you are already in the place that uh, the seeming search is trying to get to you are already there you see and with that um, deep confirmation one finds that the presence never leaves that presence is what you are. Presence is not someplace you get to. It is just what you are. And you've always been in your dynamic expression of life. The background of that life is always presence. When you say I, I is a significant. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is presence itself. It has just been mm, believed to be a person or, or converted into the sense of a person. This becomes your experience more than your learning. Mm. That you are that uh, consistent background. And uh, the presence, you may say, um, I would say that it, it is the subtlest and earliest manifestation of absolute consciousness into phenomenality or something. I don't know if I hope those words are not running away too much. What it means is that I see that even the presence itself because as presence marinates in itself, one comes to see that even presence itself becomes phenomenal. It starts to, to, to expose its phenomenality. And when that time comes, when presence itself is observed, by what is it observed? This is the unspeakable. This is what I meant by the unborn. Mm. It, it, that that which is before even presence, you see, and mm. that is what I refer to as the ultimate, as the ultimate. And so, uh, while we experience a waking state or the functioning of consciousness in its dualistic functioning as the manifest life, uh, while we are aware of it like this, uh, then you can say our 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 most secure resting place is presence. 
but because when night comes we tend to go into the mode of sleep uh, beyond the dream I'm talking about into deep sleep when there's no uh, cognitive functioning there's no you and me there's no belief there's no there's not even God and and there's no devil there's no heaven and no hell nothing like that and yet we must still be there because we enjoy sleep uh, beyond uh, the functioning of the you and me-ness, beyond the functioning of otherness and I. Some, some universal consciousness, the seed of that is there, sufficient for us to have the taste of sleep even. So even sleep itself, I would not equate that with the ultimate consciousness. It mm. is also a, a rotating state. This is where our inquiry naturally is taking us. It's, it's not that we are pulling it, it's that we ourselves, the sense of ourself as, uh, as being the, subtly separate from, the, from the, the totality, because that's the last impression to thin away. We will still keep on speaking about the ultimate consciousness or getting closer to God or being one with God, but it's still this deep, this seed of separation is still um, is still at the at, at the heart of it. Mm. So it is it is uh, it takes uh, some. I don't know if it's time is not the is not the, <laughs> say just time. Something uh, is wearing out that that which causes the feeling of separateness to um, to still have a have a have a have some charge in it or something. Yeah. That brings up an interesting point that uh, uh, I'll tell you a, a, just a, a small story. When we were in India with Neem Karoli Baba, so Ramdas and I and a bunch of other people, Westerners, at one point he had this thought, Ramdas did, I, I cannot believe that karma, action, and grace are separate. Cannot be. So he went to Maharaji, we called him Maharaji, and he said, Maharaji, is it not true? Karma and grace are one. And Maharaji said, this uh, cannot be talked about in public. Ramdas was like, huh? You know, he was really mystified by this. About two hours later, Maharaji sent a message to him from his room saying, Ramdas and I understand each other perfectly. And from that, Ramdas took that to mean, and, and we've discussed this over many, many, many years at our retreats that we hold. Ramdas lives in Maui now. And uh, what, we've, what we've discerned from it is that, yes, at a level beyond mind, they are the same. There is no way that mind could understand. And in fact, I think what we thought that why he was saying can't be discussed publicly, but because in reality, action, one needs to take action within the play in order for what you've called is a movement to happen. Can you talk a little bit about this? Because you, you have talked about it. Um, you, you've said uh, we experience that we can make choices. No one can act contrary to the will of God. It must be within the premise of will. Our actions cannot act independently of the supreme consciousness, but within the play, beings have a sense of choice. I mean, that felt in alignment, but can you talk a little bit? 
Yes, okay. Um, it means for me that uh, uh, while we have the sense of autonomy, of individuality, of, uh, of, of uh, an autonomous self, which is must be the wish of consciousness to manifest itself in the form of individuality, and then to imbue the sense of individuality with a sense of, uh, of free choice. But under any sort of true scrutiny, we cannot admit to have real choice. Because if we had a, a, you know, full choice, we'd all be living exactly the life that we, we, we wished in our minds to live. And that's clearly not the case. Um, what we are living is the fruits of our uh, maturity also. And I say that, uh, of course, while there is a sense of autonomy, if we were willless, then there could not be the sense of autonomy. You see? So uh, when consciousness chooses to manifest itself as diverse beings, it must imbue those beings with a sense or the illusion of making individual, purposeful, independent choice, even independent of God. You see? And, uh, and that's where I believe our uh, we inherit <coughs> arrogance, <coughs> which itself mm. um, uh, creates in us uh, a deeper sense of separateness for a while, because uh, no one can be lastingly arrogant, because with, with mature arrogance comes deep pain at some point. Mm. And what I said was that nobody can act contrary to the will of the Supreme, meaning that uh, there isn't... Mm, can I say something with, with, it might sound a bit crazy? Because <laughs> we, there is not any, any separate people doing any separate things. You know, I, 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 because I can only go so far with saying things like that. And then I have to confess that I can't go further with that. I cannot... I cannot admit that there are independent people doing independent things. It is the supreme, any more than I can say that there are waves, individual waves, going their own way on the surface of the ocean. You know, mm. For a while, it seems like that, and I can still understand that because we are living in a very diverse field of, of consciousness expressing itself into the form of varying levels of human experience and spiritual maturity and so on. So we are not fools. We live in a environment where there are people wiser than ourselves and more foolish than ourselves. So we 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 are seeing this. If you are if you are at least smart enough to see that and admit that, that uh, um, there's a place where you are speaking with beings who who have an inflated idea of their own autonomy, and even <laughs> though life is showing them clearly that they don't, they they cannot admit that. So mm -hmm. that is one of the great things of consciousness for me. <laughs> and then at the same time, there are others who seem to, um, to be so attuned to consciousness in its authentic expression. And I've also have a sense of surrender their, their idea of a personal will and who seem far freer and happier in their, in their life. Um, yet these two extremes rarely meet to talk because it's almost as though there's an incompatibility at the level of, of uh, identity 
really distances us from real common sense uh, understanding. I call wisdom God's common sense, basically. And we seem <laughs> to not be able to function in that way. So um, the idea about free will, uh, human beings having free will to do things, um, I feel it's an exaggeration, and it is one of our primary illusions. Um, I feel that we have to be kept in that illusions for a while because it gives us a kind of like a kind of black happiness. You know, it's like you you think you're happy, but you're you're still in a state of uh, a state of depression, thinking that you're happy or something. As we begin to come out of that sleep, and then your capacity to grasp life at a at a wider in a wider more panoramic field that begins to show up and only i feel as we are coming out of one state into another maybe subtler or higher state can we look back to evaluate the state we have been in previously while we're in it it's like it becomes our entire world when you're leaving it it becomes a bubble in the ocean the infinite ocean and I feel that some beings see that and, and grow tremendously from that insight. And yet others, uh, we, we are quick to forget. And uh, perhaps also um, there's a seed of ingratitude also that slows down our capacity to, to absorb great things uh, while our attention is fixed on such small, small measures, you know. Mm. So my feeling, if we want to speak about choice, I feel a real choice, the most active, alive choice is the choice to either go with the drifts, the drifting streams of our mind, or to stay as the witness of what is arising and not get caught up emotionally or to identify with the phenomena that's only, it's only sort of momentary or fleeting. That I think is a real power. Mm. We want to speak about choice, you know. Yeah. is how much we are able to stay as uh, in the observing place, which doesn't mean that your body does not move. Your body can move and do its thing. But inside, the state of the mind remains in a state of tranquility or it stays in the heart. Hmm. So there's more space. Anyone whose mind is in the heart has inherited a, hum a tremendous space. It's like the whole universe becomes yours. And your mind is in the in the body and in the world, you know. Even uh, even a even a palace will feel claustrophobic for you. Yeah. The mind heart is uh, is also uh, one of the ways that we express uh, in our, in particular our tradition of uh, bhakti yoga and and you you know we were all uh, introduced by Maharaji to uh, vipassana, Buddhist meditation. And 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 the Tibetans as well. So there's a way in which we were introduced to the heart mind through through that process, and yeah. that's uh, that's very much a core thing. I, I'm gonna I, I want to just ask uh, talk about something, and this is my my downfall here. This is my my own judgments that I have gotten into r relative to the uh, to the path of non-duality, and that's around. I'm admitting this. This is something I've been working with, but um, in uh, I've seen in your in various talks that you've given, uh, in one way or another, 
the reality that is being expressed to people is, and you've expressed it here in this conversation. You, this, um, the presence is there. It's a matter of just allowing the clouds to go away, so the sun, sun is just there. You realize that. It's not a matter of getting to something. And also, you've said uh, you are all ripe. Um, you are are already uh, that. Uh, and uh, I'm just wondering, can that tend to lead people to live in in, in a in an up level world where they're it, they're not coming from that heart mind place. They're coming more from the mind place, and it's actually it's it's really contributing to confusing them. Or staying in some delusion. I'll have to tell you that uh, people came back from uh, being with Punjaji uh, in the 90s. Um, and I went to a couple of satsangs uh, that I was invited to. And uh, there was uh, a bit of an arrogance of uh, self-professed enlightenment of some sort. Yes. Which I, I found gee, it just didn't have a lot of love and it didn't have a lot of humility and so on. I mean, is is um, that, that? And again, you know. So I've had this this judgment around people who pursue this path, and I, I see them, and and there's just a lack of of humility, and there's 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 a stuckness. Can you can you refer to this? Yes, I appreciate the question also. Um, I'm happy you mentioned that because um, that arrogance was in them before anyway. I always warn people about arrogance. I always say, never think you are without arrogance. And <clears throat> the next thing is that, uh, yes, there are people who, not only in non-duality, uh, in, in the path of non-duality, they are, they are there also, of course, and I, I'm going to come back to that, but they are there also in other paths where a path that stresses compassion. Sometimes people start to behave as though they are very you know, compassionate and yeah. they're the ones who are compassionate yeah. and to the ones who need compassion. That's a form of arrogance also. But uh, in, clearly in the part of non-duality, it attracts more the, the more philosophical type of being, the more than the more bhakti type of being. There the tend to be less arrogance in, in, the, in the devotional expression. Uh, those who have that temperament tend to not <clears throat> display such arrogance. And those who tend to be much more uh, philosophical, more logical in this type of way, do tend to pick up. And very often, they may be gifted with a very swift um, and uh, um, kind of intellect that's able to grasp the, 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 the teachings at an intellectual level. And, and even at that level, it does bring some joy. But it is not complete, <clears throat> and that's where the mistake is made. It will appeal to those, particularly, who don't like to attribute or give credit to their sources. It will appeal to people who don't feel comfortable that there are people who are more advanced spiritually than themselves. It will appeal to people who want to be a guru or something like that. It will appeal to people who um, who don't like to be seen as being uh, uh, in need of anything. 
like there are some people who don't like to they they don't mind to give you but they don't they feel comfortable receiving something because that makes them feel like you know small or something so there's a lot of um, characteristics mm. in us that can uh, tend to uh, manifest those those um, those insincere expressions you know so advaita i've said you know if you're looking for excuses advaita will give you five star excuses basically <laughs> you understand the thing is though that it will not work on people for very long you will keep it's like people who are flirting they're number one flirters and uh, you know they come across really well for a time but then by the time they're found out they've got what they want and they've had to move on to new territory they can't stay in the same place because there's a kind of psychic smell when you speak something and it's not thoroughly true experientially it will only attract people who are actually equally stupid actually for a bit i would say that people who want to believe that you have got something because you're clever at saying it hmm. so in a sense it is like they they hurt themselves because they'll never get away with it. I say it's a bit like farting in a spacesuit or something. Okay, <laughs> you are not going to get away from your own smell. You understand? <laughs> so what we when we speak about this thing, I I see uh, that of course there are people who who do parade like that. But what is good that is in in a more mature sangha field. They don't last because they are exposed. We've had sometimes people who are themselves um, giving satsang, so to speak. Now, and uh, sometimes uh, they may mm, say that uh, they've been following my pointings and I am their guru or whatever. And we invite them to come here and to um, be here for a little bit and then to conduct conduct a satsang here in Montesaj or where I'm living, you know. And then the Sangha sit with it and listen to what they have to say and put questions to them. And they answer. And then we respond. I say, okay, guys, what, what was your response and so on? And it is, it's, it's actually quite, uh, um, uh, it, it's rough, you know, but it is <laughs> good. Bet. And I have had people who have come here and they have really been whipped. And they've mm. gone away and come back and, and say this mm. was the best thing that could happen for me. So I believe that there's a sincerity in many people who sincerely believe that they're ready and so on. I say that, you know, really, the last thing to want is want to be guru. Let me tell you, you don't want that. Anyway, you won't last. If you're not true, you will not last. At some point, what tends to happen is that people do genuinely come to a profound insight. And then what tends to happen is that surreptitiously, the ego slips in there and claims it and it feels quite quite authentic but then what happens is you don't you don't grow inside that you 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 run out of savings and then at, uh, then you start to deviate and create your own sort of spiritual philosophy then you just uh, you fly off at some tangent or something yeah so i i feel that uh, it gives itself it 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 shoots itself in the foot uh -huh. I don't think people really get all, get all that. And mm -hmm. I feel it is good that uh, life manifests beings who will do this so that others will learn from it also. Yeah. You know, we are yeah. one, you know, so even our mistakes, 
you know, we should be the first to learn from them. That sometimes other people learn from you, from your mistakes more than, yeah. than what you think you want to offer them. Yeah. And uh, so um, I would not say now coming back to the question is that um, that the path itself causes that. The path does not cause it. The path is very straightforward. It is very simple. And maybe because of its simplicity, more and more people will feel that they've got it. Uh-huh. And the important thing is that, you know, once you have understood, stay in the Sangha field for a while and marinate in it, uh, be incubate in that understanding, check it in with your with your teacher or whatever, you know, and be in that because in a mature um, Sangha field, the people will keep, you know, sort of like really, you know, reflecting what is still remaining in you that needs to be looked at. Yeah. Of course, there is no such thing as a personal, a, a, a perfect personality or something. So if we're looking only at the people's behavior from a personality perspective, you cannot say yes, because they did that or because, you know, people are crazy. They'll say, you know, how can you be a guru and you take sugar? Or how could you do this if you're not a vegetarian or whatever? We have a lot mm-hmm. of different ideas that we feel it is good enough to assess a human being's credibility mm-hmm. as a judgment. Way. And I think that people will challenge you more if you keep saying that you are an awakened being. I think it's better just to keep quiet and and just keep disappearing into your understanding. This is what. Yeah. This is the beauty of satsang too, and I know you have this uh, fantastic satsang there in Portugal. In my own experience, satsang is 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 such a powerful force for us. Yes. And so I really appreciate uh, that. So we're we're getting to the close, uh, Muji. Yes. And but there's one thing that I found that brings together for me is the essence of what we really are all about beyond non-dual, not beyond Advait, beyond Bhakti Yoga, beyond Buddhism, beyond everything. And I must uh, read this again from you: When you truly find love for others inside your heart, it is so empowering. You are seeing with the eyes of God. There's no selfishness there whatsoever. Selfishness did not create this world. Great love and generosity did. I I don't think there's any other truth other than that truth in terms of what words we can actually connect with each other on. And uh, Well, yes, it is true uh, because I feel that uh, although people may not believe um, or they may profess to be um, jnanis or awakened beings, whilst we still function um, with the body and uh, carry the seeds of duality in ourselves, then love is a very safe um, road. Um respect for one another and so on is a very safe way. But love also must be assisted by wisdom. Otherwise it becomes, uh, uh, it must be guarded against over sentimentality, for instance, Mm -hmm. or too much emotionalism. Uh, Love need not be over-emotional, but it must not also exclude emotion. Emotion is very natural to us in that way. But there is also, I have to say, that the understanding that 
that really reveals to us that uh, that beingness before the birth of any concept that really establishes the mind in its supreme source. I call this love also, because that is there before even a sense of otherness came. It is there before the sense of I comes. It is here because even the sense I is also perceived, you see. And it is out of this, this great understanding that I say that love is the perfume of it. That uh, a real, r real compassion Unconditional love, unbroken peace, unfading joy. This is the perfume that comes from this flowerless flower. I have to put it like that because if love takes too strongly a form, and then sometimes another smell comes. If it clings to anything, you see, it must love. Sometimes I say this saying that loves, love loves to love. It cannot help it. It's nothing personal. You know, it is like it has to love. It is love, just like the the flower has to emit its perfume. Mm. And without the love, truth without love, I, they go together, you see. And love without truth is like uh, each is one wing of a bird. And I've never seen a bird fly on one wing. Mm. So I can put it like that. Mm. Wonderful. Mm. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank Indeed. you, Raghu. It's so great to, to spend this time with you. And everybody, uh, Muji.com, you can go there and uh, find everything. There's, of course, uh, you have uh, got quite a, a great support group around you to really share yeah. what you do the way that it is shared. I mean, and I'm so... That that's so much part of our tradition. Uh, the the last word in that uh, little thing I read was generosity, and I think yeah. that's highly important. Uh, and also, uh, you have a, a new book. Well, I think it's new. It's this year, "Vaster Than Sky, Greater Than Space." What you are before you became. I love that too. <laughs> so <laughs> go up and uh, what I'd like plenty to, just places. to put because in your mention. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Uh, our website is actually muji that dot org, not org. Uh, not com. Right, not no, com. No, no, that's yes. good. And I, I just want to also thank you for actually selecting some very important um, quotes because sometimes people take things which are uh, are, are much lighter, and uh, you've chosen um, some things which makes it much more true for me to comment upon those. Mm. Uh, and they are, they are more profound, of course, so it's not always easy to 
to put what I what what I feel into words. It's been a bit challenging for that reason, but because of that also, I appreciate it more also. Mm. So uh, thank you for that. Well, uh, absolutely. These struck me as I went through and read them or listened to talks or whatever. Yes. They're, the, they're the things that struck my heart. So yes. thank you for sharing again. And I uh, hope one day to to meet you. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try and do that. Yes. And, uh, yes. Namaste. Namaste, Raghu. Namaste. namaste. And, uh, all love to your listeners and, uh, and your viewers, if you want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Come that we will see each other and to embrace each other in the flesh or something also. Yes. <laughs> Ram Ram. Ram Ram Ram. Namaste. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.